0: The views expressed in this interview are those of the individuals and do not reflect the official policy or position of the U.S. government, the Department of Defense, the U.S. Navy, or the Naval Postgraduate School. Welcome to the Trident Room, brewer of stout conversation, unfiltered and on tap. On today's episode, Trident Room host, Mike Wish, sits down and has a conversation with philanthropic mad scientist, Dr. Vivian Ming.
1: Narrowing down a little bit in terms of specific military application, one of the most obvious right now that I've seen in your work certainly is on neural prosthetics. So if, if you could talk to me about that work uh, specifically. Um, I know, again, we're really narrowing down on this, this particular subject to something very specific, but it's something that is obviously important to uh, military service members uh, kind of present and past. Uh,
0: no, um, it's so a exactly big issue. And it has multiple areas, uh, domains of effect for the military. So probably the most immediate, because it's one of the most uh, current, are what are called motor neuroprosthetics. So this is, uh, and we all know why this is meaningful to the military, and it's tragic that it is. But it is, you know, you lose a limb uh, on deployment, and you go back to the VA, and they hook you up with the cutting edge. But the cutting edge, I have to say today, isn't just about material science. It isn't just about prosthetic limb design. It is the fact that these things can actually take commands directly from the brain. Uh, And oh my goodness, what they can do when you build those sorts of control systems in are amazing. Uh, Now, single limb replacement is one thing, but the movement in this space is people with profound mobility disorders. So quadriplegia, cerebral palsy, uh, advancing ALS, severe stroke, uh, but spinal injury is a very common one. Um, so one of the first things I ever saw was a guy who um, was in a motor- motorcycle accident. Um, he had um, you know, a, a severing of a spinal cord uh, very high up. I don't remember the specific place of it. So he's profoundly paralyzed. He can control his face and not a whole lot else. So he gets rolled around with a little head thing that keeps his head upright in a chair that he controls by moving a joystick with his mouth. And, um, and he's built a life for himself in the six years since the accident. But he also volunteered for this experiment uh, called BrainGate. And he comes rolling into this video. So these videos are online. If you want to check them out, they're on YouTube. They've, in fact, they've been around for over 10... I mean, God... Over 10 years? I saw these in grad school, which means way over 10 years now. That's depressing. Um, but amazing that this is like old technology. So he comes rolling in. He's got a big box on the top of his head. Uh, you know, it's kind of weird. Like, he's into some sort of, uh, you know, complex uh, Jewish spiritualism, except he's got it on the wrong part of his body. Well, this is a drivetrain of a micro array. So a bunch of hair-thin needles going down into his motor cortex. So he rolls into the room, and they got a big screen set up in front of him. And if anyone's old enough like me to know what this looks like, it's like you're looking at a Commodore 64. You know, it's blocky, giant, low resolution. And they say to him, completely uselessly, move the cursor. And he's like, what are you talking about? I can't move anything. And they say, imagine you're moving your hand in a circle. Again, this guy hasn't moved his hand or any other part of his body in six years. And suddenly the cursor starts jiggling, and then it starts moving slowly at first, but then increasingly in a circle. And in the years since, uh, again, videos you can go watch on YouTube. One of my favorite is this woman feeding herself for the first time. Uh, she's, just, she's controlling an actual robotic limb, profoundly paralyzed. The limb is going off of the microdrive in her motor cortex, and it reaches out. She asked them to put her thermos of coffee out on the table. She was just supposed to, be like, pick up a tennis ball. She said, no, coffee. She reaches out with the robotic limb controlled literally by her brain, brings it back up. She takes a drink from it. Uh, she feeds it herself for the first time in her case also in years. Um, those were early days. We've moved a long way since then. Technologies that can allow people to fully control their wheelchairs, to control uh, limbs, um, and you know that is an amazing transformation. My particular interest has been in cognitive neuroprosthetics because I want to build cyborgs. Because uh, you know I want a superpower, and you know I got to essentially build a prosthetic for my son, an AI-based prosthetic, which essentially replaces his pancreas in terms of his diabetes regulation. And that was amazing, and we got to give it away for free. Well, I want to do the same things for phenomenon like working memory. How many things can you keep in your mind at any given time? Turns out a single standard deviation increase in that. Instead of seven, we're talking maybe eight or nine things that you can remember is like a $30,000 a year increase in your annual earnings. Um, You actually live longer. Turns out people with slightly larger working memories just have better diets. It's complicated reasons why, but there are some deep fundamental things about ourselves. And it's not my job to make us all boringly the same. But for some of us, those get taken away. For example, kids that have traumatic brain injuries, one of the most common symptoms is working memory deficits. What if you could go back to that little kid and give them back at least some of what their brain was originally doing for them with one of these prosthetics. Give them back the chance to remember just five seconds ago what it was I was doing. Uh, And give them the chance to write their own life story again. Like That's amazing. Um, Another one of my startups um, is developing a system for people with severe cerebral palsy, combines art augmented reality with non-invasive EEG-based, so it's reading brainwaves. And using that, these people can communicate in near real-time speeds uh, through speech synthesis, just by imagining the thing they want to be said, as well as controlling their chair, the lighting's in the room. You give them a chance. Back in the economics realm, one of the things we're doing uh, with that startup is writing an economics paper on what happens when 100,000 Americans who've been trapped inside their own bodies suddenly re-enter the economy. A little hint to the Biden administration, this might be something worth investing in. Um, cool work looking at Alzheimer's and neurodegeneration using some truly amazing things, phasic light therapy that in our case we're able to build into the trickery of color. I don't know if anyone wants to run through the psychophysics of color again, but you can create any color with a mixture of three other colors. Well, if that's true, and I can strobe a 40 hertz light in your face and actually drive what's called gamma activity in your frontal lobes, then what if I could actually, say, build that into a computer screen or a commercial lighting system? And just as we're sitting here, without realizing the light is strobing, it's strobing. It's driving gamma activity in our brain. For most of us, that doesn't mean anything. But it turns out there's some powerful early evidence that it reduces symptomology in Alzheimer's sufferers. And one as-yet-unpublished study suggests, but a, a, a lab that deserves respect, suggests it might reduce symptomology by 80%. Just spend an hour in front of a light each day, and you get to be who you are for longer. So this is what I'm trying to do with neuroprosthetics. Uh, Someday, it is going to fundamentally change the definition of what it means to be human. That's another thing we need to think about. For who, Uh, in what ways, who gets to make those choices? Do I get to because I'm clever and rich, or is it something we collectively decide as a society? Um, But having said that and not shying away from ethical considerations, uh, the chance to give someone the capabilities that the rest of us take for granted is an amazing thing. When you can't do it, it's a superpower. And the chance to invent superpowers and give them away for free is my purpose in life.
1: Well, yeah, even the bioethics aside, for, for which I'm not anywhere near qualified enough to discuss, uh, I go back to the misconception that people have about AI. I think that when most people think about you know, uh, threat, the AI threat, they're imagining the singularity, right? They're, they're thinking about Terminator or they're thinking about the matrix. Uh, but to me, what seems like the tipping point is not this massive change in intelligence level, uh, as ambiguous as the word intelligence could be right? Uh, so you're not, you're not going to put a chip in my brain and make me smarter than any human that's ever lived. Uh, but if I can hold 10 and 2 or, or 11 and 2, well, well, now if we can also do that with some certain percentage of the healthy population, not just those that are suffering some sort of disability, I mean, that's, you know, that's 100,000 more people, say, that can work a problem, right? I mean, that, that kind of change can trigger the exponential growth in, in what we can learn and what we can tackle, right?
0: I absolutely agree, and this is not going to help anyone's fears about AI at all, but the singularity is not a thing that's looming around the corner, and this is what won't happen. I wish we had that problem. Like, no one's invented any technology related to artificial intelligence that is remotely close to who we are as intelligent beings, which is fascinating because, in fact, in their own narrow little domains they can absolutely be superhuman. Of course, probably everyone is aware that it can beat the, the best in the world at Go and chess, competitive with the best in the world at poker, competitive with the best in the world at Halo and first-person shooters. Although, you know, there's an interesting drop-off. The more unconstrained the environment gets, the less of an advantage AI has. But let's be clear. AlphaGo, the, the thing that plays Go or the um, OpenAI's Halo team. They can only do, can only do that running. one thing. They keep playing Go when the house is burning down. They play Go when the game is backgammon. Um, they don't actually understand anything about the domain that they're in. They know how to turn numbers into numbers in a way that, frankly, humans can't. That is where we should lean into a certain kind of AI. There are domains when they can do things cheaper, faster, and better than we can. They can't do things that are creative. And that's where I, for me, the exciting part of neuroprosthetics, we could take the best of what machines can do and the best of what people can do and bring them together. We're the creative ones. AI is still just a tool. Someday, some AI may wake up, but I will tell you, we could go through the nerdy constraints on what I feel is is at play there about causality and things like that. Um, and and coming up with models that understand those things. But the simple reality is we aren't there. Right now we have an incredibly powerful tool and we have an artisan to make use of it. And unfortunately, we actually train the artisans like they're the tools. You know, like you're just a list of skills on a resume and that's not interesting at all and it isn't how we should be thinking about human capacity, military or otherwise. So that's a big change to be made, and yeah, it's interesting to think of the role of technology in playing a transformational role in that, and yes, if no one got the reference, there's this famous paper from the 50s, the magic number seven plus or minus two, um, it you know, comes back to that same idea. What can you hold in mind at any given time? It's the foundation of decades of research sense about working memory that predicts so much about how our lives turn out. Well, what if the magic number was 10 plus or minus 2? Not just the average, uh, but like that was the norm, the mode of human existence. Um, What if it was 20? That's what it said on my website for years and years. What if it was 20? I mean, the simple truth is if you meet someone who's in the low double digits, they seem weird. People with working memories like that. By the way, they actually might be driving a taxi. Having one single strength in your life does not make for a great life. Um, It's the richness of having a set of strengths, understanding your weaknesses. Let's get that off the board. A giant working memory does not guarantee you anything. But at a population level, what happens if the average working memory span in the population increases? To be perfectly honest, we don't know. Um, You know, it's, it's interesting to know that general intelligence as measured in the world has gone up particularly in the Western world, but it, it's gone up everywhere. It's gone up because of better disease treatment. It's gone up because of lower, just uh, interesting things like uh, inflammation rates have gone down in human just experience where we're sick less than we used to be. That's good for our ability to think. Um, so that these averages have gone up. In some ways, we live in the benefits of that. Benefits that I wouldn't change despite climate change, which is a serious and real threat, despite... The fact that global diseases can race through our transportation networks so quickly nowadays, those are problems we have brought on ourselves. But if you look at life expectancy even 100 years ago, those are trades I'm willing to make on the aspiration that we now go fix those big global problems. Our chance of fixing them is greatly increased. The more people get to participate and the more raw hardware they can bring to bear on that problem. Um, There's a kid uh, in a village outside Kinshasa who's going to make a massive contribution to uh, rolling back climate change. He's got the idea of a new battery in his head, or she's going to come up with a genuine cure for diabetes uh, in a favela in Rio. But let's not fool ourselves. The chance that that kid's actually going to be able to bring that idea into the world It is hard enough for you guys to bring it at the Naval Postgraduate School. Imagine having all those additional barriers in front of you. I'm not saying magical technologies fix all these problems. I'm saying everything we can do that can maximize human capacity, not just here in America, but around the world, makes our lives safer and happier and wealthier.
1: Well, Dr. Bing, it's been an absolute pleasure having you here. Um, I think we're a little bit out of time, and, and the question that I would like to ask you, which I asked all of my guests, um, and I'm most excited, actually, to hear your answer because you come from outside the organization, and that is, what is your advice to our graduate students here at the Naval Postgraduate School? They're in their majors. They're in the tunnel vision of exams and thesis work. They're thinking about their next assignment, you know, which might be anywhere in the Navy or the Marine Corps, or the other services that we have here, but I would like them to come away with something special here at the end of this podcast, Uh, maybe something that they have not heard before from, you know, maybe our more uh, typical or usual academic or military guests.
0: Yeah, so uh, let me throw this. I had the pleasure of giving the um, convocation at my alma mater. Happened to be a university I both flunked out of and then did as well as anyone's ever done 10 years later. So who better than me to tell a bunch of entering freshmen uh, what they should be getting out of it? So uh, let me share something similar here. Um, One is whatever you're doing right now, go all in. Just Maybe it wasn't the thing or it wasn't what you expected it to be or it's what your parents wanted. Right now, that's your life. Become the best engineer in the world, the best journalist, the best poet. I don't care. You're doing it now. Be the best you can be. Um, Next is, we already talked about it, go construct a purpose. Don't wait around for it to come to you. Go build it yourself right now. Uh, And the reason for that is it's your guiding star across number three. Now, number three, I drafted the F-bomb up on stage, and they weren't thrilled about this, and I don't know about what the setup here is uh, in terms of whether...
1: It's it's fairly forgiving here.
0: Yes. Well, let me put it this way. Just fucking die already. Um, Here is what my life has been. Every few years, I die and I start all over again. And in some ways... If you go dig into my biography, you will find just how true that is uh, and how profoundly different lives I've led across along the ways. But even just in career, I've been an academic and I've been an entrepreneur. I've been an entrepreneur in many different industries now. I've been a philanthropist. I've been a, a writer. I've, now I've got books out. Um, every time I got really great at something, lesson number one, I followed my purpose, lesson number two, And I died, and I started all over again doing something new. Your best, most productive moments are when you're just walking in the door. Uh, It could be three years, five years, seven years. I don't care, but you can decide ahead of time. You just plan that this life is going to end, and you're going to move on to something new. But one of the amazing things about this strategy is, every new life, you don't forget everything you learned before. You, in each of those lives, you became the best you possibly could at that thing. And you take those lessons and skills and knowledges. I I say bad things about skills and knowledges often, but they are crucially important to success in life. You carry them forward in that next life, and you will see the world differently than every other journalist because you'll see it through the eyes of an engineer. And then you'll see poetry different because you will have had those two other lifetimes. And then you'll be a physicist and then you'll be a mom and then you'll vent a hover bike. Now I'm stealing from my favorite comic strip ever. I will, I think I can say this confidently now, Saturday Morning Breakfast Cereal. If you've never seen it, it's like dirty jokes for physicists, but you'll get it. Um, But it had this one strip called Many Lives and it was the story. Um, This is true. One day you will be dead. Uh, this is false, you only live once. It takes about seven years to truly master something. Truth is, the science is more complex than that, but I'll false. give, the, I'll give the, the comic a pass. Um, uh, therefore, if you live to be age 88, starting at 11, you have 11 lifetimes. Right? These are your opportunities to change the world. 11 chances to do something no one's ever done before. So what I'm saying is don't read a comic strip and chuckle to yourself and think, yeah, that's, that's right. I'm saying live it. Like set this. This doesn't even mean you have to leave the military. What I'm saying is once you became great at something, then you need to go look for a new opportunity to become great at something else and carry all of that learning forward again and again. Your purpose stays the same yeah it can it can float a little bit but that's the guide star you're always moving that forward you're making the sacrifices for that thing that's bigger than you and one of those sacrifices is you again and again and again get used to it turns out it sounds terrifying but everyone every one of those lives gets better and better and better and sometimes you think back on one you've left behind and you think fondly about it, but you had to, you had to let it go and do the new thing. So that's my advice is whatever life you're in now, go all in knowing that you're going to die and you're going to start all over again tomorrow.
1: Well, that that sounds great. Uh, really uh, fantastic advice and something to think about for sure. Thank you so much for being with us today. And uh, hopefully we'll get to see you again, maybe uh, more presentations down the road or at a future BICS event.
0: It's been a blast. I mean, who could not want to hang out in a basement in a secure location, which is all I can think of when
1: I'm in this room. Glad glad we could make you feel comfortable.
0: Thanks for joining us in the Trident Room. This episode was recorded August 24th, 2021. For more information about today's guests and topics, please visit the show notes. The Trident Room has been brought to you by the Naval Postgraduate School. Alumni association and foundation for questions comments and suggestions please email us at trident room at nPS.edu and find us online at nps.edu slash
1: trident room